Welcome to Legacy Church, Amelia Island. We pray that you are blessed by the message that you are about to hear, and we believe that it will help you leave a Christ-glorifying legacy for generations to come. Well, church family, go ahead and put your hands together this morning and honor our God and our King. What a great day to be in the house of God on a July summer day in North Florida. Wherever you might be joining us online, we welcome you as well. If you're in the building, people are mingling and saying hi. If you're at home, you're probably finishing your cup of coffee. But we are grateful and thankful for all that God has done. Do me a favor and look at your neighbor and tell him you look good today. Now don't make your other neighbor feel left out. Look to your other side and say, you look good today. All right, I appreciate that. You know what? I was just looking out at the crowd. I saw my wife. She looks good today. Courtney, come here for a second. No, no, come here. Come here. Come here on the spot. You know, they say after a certain time, you and your wife start looking alike. I think you start dressing alike after a certain time. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil. Who left early this morning? Who left first? You did, but I had this in mind last night. Oh, in I mind. She had it in her mind, gentlemen. She had it in her mind. We look, you look wonderful, sweetheart. Have a seat. Give her a hand. <laughs> she lied in church. She said that she had it in her mind first. Where's our intercessory team? Will you guys pray for Courtney? There's some deliverance we're going to need in truthfulness, but uh, we are so grateful and thankful for all that God is doing right here at Legacy Church. It has been, when I tell you, and Greg, you'll know this, it has been a fantastic week in the life of our church. Groups kicked off. Someone say groups. Oh my gosh, they were amazing. If you do not attend a group at Legacy Church, what is wrong with you? That's all I'm just going to say. Like, there's one thing that we can have a Sunday gathering, but to watch discipleship in action, like as a pastor, my heart was just floating. This place was full of men and women pursuing and seeking God at their best, because at our best is accountability and community. That's how the Father's revealed. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, He is that. Never created. He is embodied in that, and He creates us to be in community. So I'm, this is a pastoral ask. I'm going to ask you, on Wednesdays, at least one, two, three, if not all four of the month, Wednesdays, come out and be a part of our groups. We have our best leaders as men leading our men, talking about being accountable to God and, and taking those next steps and having a better home. Women, get your man there, all right? Just get him there. Just trick him. Tell him we're playing golf and we'll get him in the room, I promise you. We got some strong guys who are just that much saved. They can get him in, I promise you. And ladies, uh, men, if you're having issues, get her to women's group. They'll encourage her. I know they're doing um, Kaylin's book on Daniel. It's going to be a fantastic group. So I am promoting and pushing groups because they are amazing. Last thing I want to talk about before I jump in today is Serving Expo. And so in years past, we're like, hey, come serve with us. Come have a shirt. Come have fun. And, And God spoke something different to our team this time. He spoke this scripture in Matthew, and maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not with the scripture in Matthew, but Matthew says this. Matthew, this is Jesus' last marching orders to his people, and he says, therefore, go. Someone say go. But don't hear this as, oh, I recognize that verse. Hear this as, this is Jesus saying, this is my last best advice to you. Jesus told his people, no pastors in the crowd, no evangelists in the crowd. The church wasn't a thing yet. No churches in the crowd yet. He tells them, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
This is he, what he's saying. Baptize them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're having our serving expo. And what we're asking you is to join us in the Great Commission. Join us in the great ask of Jesus. So we're not asking you from Legacy Church. We're asking you from Jesus. Will you come and join us in building his kingdom? Will you help us make disciples? Will you help us go and teach and baptize? I don't want to hear one other person complain about this generation unless you are serving in Legacy Kids. I promise you, I don't care if you're in the grocery store, at the gym, out front of the church, go ahead and complain about our school system, about our nation, about what kids are doing, and vaping, and social media, and sex outside of marriage, and gender confusion. Go ahead and complain one more time, and don't serve in Legacy Kids. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Go ahead and complain about the nuclear family and the falling apart of our homes and don't serve with our men and our women or guest services or ushers or out front or our prayer team. Go ahead and complain one more time. And I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to ask you, well, what are you planning on doing about that? Because we are in a country, we're in a culture where everybody knows the problems, but nobody wants to pick up their self, their time, their attention for solutions. And I'm just going to be, this is a pastoral fatherly moment, like less complaining and more action. Like let's get to work. Let's start shoveling together. Let's lock arms and say, hey, we are the change we want to see. We are going to see homes healthy, marriages healthy, singles healthy, students healthy. And how about this? A church healthy. Amen? So I'm believing this Sunday, next Sunday, to be historical gatherings of serving, signing up for teams, and being committed to the Great Commission. So when we talk about things in our community, we're going to say our community, Nassau County, North Florida, South Georgia, North Jacksonville, it's changing because we are changing. Our homes are changing. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to move into part three of our series, Transformation. There's so much God was doing in my heart. Not much sleep, but a lot of time in God's presence. And I pray that you feel what God wants you to feel. You, you get insight into what he wants you to see throughout this series. And so for the next few moments, look at your neighbor and tell them this. What is the access to transformation? Ask them, what is the access to transformation? And if they look confused, ask another neighbor. If they look like they missed a couple of Bible studies and haven't had their coffee this morning or grumpy, find a, find a happy looking neighbor and say, hey, what's the access to transformation? Will you pray with me? Oh, God, what a privilege. What an honor. And we knew this moment was coming in our dream team gathering with our volunteers this morning. We prayed, we worshiped, we interceded, but we felt your presence. We felt your spirit. We knew this was going to happen. We knew your Holy Spirit was going to rip the ceiling off this place. And your presence is going to be here. So, Father, we just lean into what you've already started early this morning. We are your children. You are our Abba Father. And Holy Spirit, we pray that which you purpose every person to wake up, that which you purpose every person to come to this building, to log online today, would we experience in your holiness and your truth. So Holy Spirit, we give you these next few moments together. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Someone say amen. Amen. So last two weeks we've been talking about transformation, and, and we are full speed now into week three transformational moments you're learning as we go through this series 
These moments can be unique. In all of our lives, we have these transformational moments that now we're finding out aren't every couple of years, but should be annually throughout our lives. These transformational moments can be unique, but what you're going to find specifically in today's series is, part of the series is, um, there's similar qualities in the fact that the Lord needs our buy-in. He needs the part on our part of the person for transformation, our buy-in. See, God, say this with me, God does a transformation. God does a transformation. I know the tech team, we went through things this morning. She works, yeah? Okay, Uh, God does a transformation. We give him access. God does a transformation. Who gives him access? We do. So as we walk through this series and we're talking about people, God does a transformation. We give him the access. What I want you to learn about the one who you call God today is that he's never been a forcer. He's always been a filler. From Genesis chapter 3 to John chapter 4, the woman at the well, you see a gentleman willing and able and designed to fill his people, but never forcing. This is the transformational God from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, hoping and willing and available to transform his people. No matter where you're going to read in the Bible today or any other day, the common denominator is the people have to be willing. God even looks for a people in the scripture who'd be willing to fill the gap I wonder, are you willing to fill the gap today? We talk about amazing transformational moments with the Apostle Paul and, and, and his encounter at the, on the road to Damascus and the woman at the well, but often neglect to discuss. Both had to be willing to give Jesus what? Access. Both had to be willing to give him access. For each of us, I'm believing and praying that we are walking through transformation in this year of 2023. And if you haven't experienced any type of transformation in your life, I want to be very specific. If you are in this room, if you are watching online and you don't feel a transformational experience, that you are the same in every spiritual category that you were in 2022, I've got wonderful news for you here today. There are five months left in this year. And if you think God kept you alive and allowed you to lease the air in your lungs for you to be the exact same spouse, brother, sister, colleague, church member that you were in 2022, you have missed it. There are transformational moments, but it takes for us to intentionally get into his presence, to intentionally posture ourselves into a way that says, God, I don't want to be what I was. And I want to prepare myself to be what I've never been. I'm just telling you from personal experience, sometimes you've got to be willing to do what you've never done and go where you've never gone and pray like you've never prayed and fast like you've never fasted and worship like you've never worshiped and spend time in the heart of God through his word like you've never spent time in the heart of God's word and be more obedient than you've been more obedient and have more accountability than you've had before. Is anyone hearing me? Sometimes you've got to posture yourself in a way that says, God, you matter more than anything in my life matters. 
And when you begin to see transformational moments, you'll keep coming back because the scripture declares that we are to posture ourselves in a posture of readiness. God, you can do one thing or everything right now in my heart and in my life. God, whatever lacks, whatever is missing, Lord, you have full access. I told our staff this. I told our dream team this. We have to posture ourselves today, this morning. Lord, you can change one thing about me or you can change everything about me. You can change one thing about my home or you can change everything about my home. Lord, you can change one thing today about my worldview or you can change everything. That constant posture of Lord, it is all yours. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it talks about the posture of what we are to be in, in preparation for transformation. It says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, that's problematic even by going any further because many of us right now, we're trying to keep up with the world. We're trying to look like the world. We're trying to make what the world is making. We're trying to look just like that. We're chameleon when we get out on the world. I want to talk like you, act like you, listen to what you listen to, do what you do, hang out where you hang out. And the Bible is saying you've already postured yourself not to receive transformation. If you look at when you transfer with the, big, the greatest transformations of your life previously, they weren't trying to be like the world. Get on their level. Climb the corporate ladder the way they were climbing it. Be in relationships the way they were being in relationships. Do you see what I'm saying? He, he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but say it with me. But be what? Transformed. I didn't make the word up. It's embedded in the scripture. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because you've never, do, you've never done a thing you've never thought. Oh, he's attacking, he's, he's, he's speaking to, he's uncovering our lives in every area. And I want to ask you a question. This is not rhetorical. On that scripture, did you see an expiration date? Anybody see an expiration date? Raise your hand if you've read the scripture in the Hebrew and the Greek and you've seen an expiration date. I got a couple of scholars in the room and their hands are down. No expiration date. So this is now an annual reminder for you and I that if we are alive, God has transformation moments every single year of our lives. Every single year of our lives, he has transformation available. Don't miss your year. Don't let 2023 be a year you miss God on that one because everything's the same at home and everything's the same at work. Everything's the same mentally and emotionally. Everything's the same in your life. Everything's the same in your body and in your health and in your habits. Everything's the same as it was. Don't miss God. I'm standing in a a space today where what I know is this to be true. All of us want God's will in 2023 and the approaching 2024, but not all of us want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Everybody wants transformation, but nobody wants the hard work. In the great words of Floyd Mayweather, everybody wants to win, but nobody wants the hard work. Any witnesses out there? All three of you watch boxing. Great. <laughs> a few of you out there. See, we didn't read the, the second half of that verse. I did that intentionally. Some of you are reading that verse. Some of you have memorized that scripture. The second half of that scripture says this. It talks about transformation. It talks about the transformation by the, what, the renewal of our mind. The, the bed of, that leads us to do everything that we do, our mind, and, and be a surrender to God. But if we do that in this year, with the last five months, if you have not already done it, or prepare in the next year, here's what the second half of Romans 12, 2 says. It says, then, someone say then, you will be able to test 
and approve. God, is this your will? God, is this the right relationship? God, is this the right investment? God, is this the right job? Is this the right season? Is this the right move? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing, perfect will. We want the other way around. God, show me your will. God, reveal your will. God, reveal this. God, reveal that. God, reveal this. And there's no transformation going on. And we have the audacity to get mad at God, have a chip on our shoulder with God. Oh, it must be nice. He's doing that in your life. The Bible says it's transformation first and then him revealing his will next. Are you seeing this? Making sure it's not just me. It takes a certain positioning by week three, I hope you're seeing now. We saw week one, Paul get positioned, not on his feet, but on his backside. Anybody get positioned in 2023 on your backside? That God said, oh, you're going to see, we're going to wake you up. We're going to let you know it's a new day for positioning for transformation. The woman at the well, how was she positioned? She was positioned in the most mundane of tasks. She's positioned doing a grocery grab. She's positioned doing the regular things in life, at work, with family, with friends, in singleness. It was this positioning of the mundane, but it was she postured herself where she gave Jesus access, as did Paul. Someone needs to be reminded today that for transformation, it's a posture, it's positioning, and God wants to transform each and every one of us here today. God has a purpose and God has a plan. And you can look at this as a series if you want. You can look at this as a pastor trying to uh, use a little hyperbole on a, a certain word called transformation and build something around this if you want. Or you can believe the scripture that says there's a transformation by the renewing of our mind. That there's no expiration date. So that must say that this year God has something. In the coming year, God has something. In the coming five years, God has something. And God is doing something. You can look at it as you want. All I can tell you is what the scripture says, that not until the woman at the well's mind, like we talked about last week, was transformed, she could not know all that God had for her. See, she used to be ashamed of her testimony, but once her mind was transformed, we are told she reaches a city armed with a testimony she was once ashamed of. Now she was armed with it, and it was something that she was proud of, and we're told that changed a whole city. You're beginning to learn something about transformation. Transformation takes every part of your life. I'm talking every part. I'm talking the pains, the traumas, the hurt. I'm talking the abuse. I'm talking what no one else knows. I'm talking the tears no one else counted. I'm talking every single part of your life. The trauma we talked about, the woman at the well last week, God took every part of that. Like he's going to take every part of your life. Because you come in on a Sunday morning and you clean up well. You look really good. Did I tell you that yet? You look the part. You look professional. You look successful. But if we knew your story, if we knew how you were raised, if we knew the hell you came out of to be who you are today, we'd probably just give you a standing ovation. We'd probably just say, man, you don't look like you've been through what you've been through. You don't even smell like smoke. Transformation takes everything you've been through. 
Because oftentimes in counseling and other places, we will find people struggle with rectifying and reconciling. Why did God allow? And why did I walk through this? And why did this have to happen? And what you found with the women at the well last week is it all made sense with Jesus. It all made sense because as he transforms our lives, we must go through certain seasons. We must experience things. And let me blow your mind real quick, not just for the things that, that, that God purposed, but for the self-inflicted wounds. Did you know God knows our propensities, proclivities? He created us that way. He wired us. And we go through all these things, experience all these trials and, and, and things to understand that it's all a part of the transformation that God is doing. I read this quote by Joni Erickson Tata, and if you don't know who she is, at 17 years old, she was in a diving accident. And she's a quadriplegic from the age of 17 years old, from the neck down. And she's been through all kind of hurt and pain and trauma and trial and depression with this injury. But in her moments of suffering, she talks about how God has used it for his glory and for his honor from the age of 17 years old. And now she's a senior. But for all these years, she's had to reconcile God, why, God, why, God, why. And now she comes to this place and throughout her ministry, she's come to this place where she can say this. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And I want you to look over your life, and every time the enemy, every time the flesh, every time that song, every time that movie, every time you drive by that place, every time you see them doing good on social media, every time it comes back to your mind and what they did to you and how they made you feel, and they might even be dead, every time it comes back, I want you to remember that quote. That sometimes God will allow what he hates. He hated your brokenness. He hated your hardship. He hated your loneliness. He hated the divorce. He hated all those things that maybe were a part of his will or maybe they were self-inflicted. Who knows? And at this point, honestly, who cares? But to accomplish what he loves as you move forward, his transformational purposes and promises. Okay, now I want to get to my message. Now we see for transformation, there must be access. I hope we presented enough of a case to see that. There's got to be, yes, Lord. I'm at this well, and there's been a lot that's happened in my past. Yes, Lord. I'm on Damascus Road on my back. This is all new, but yes, Lord, you have access. And so I want to give you two different situations. They're different, but they're similar in the aspect that they have opportunities for transformational access to Jesus. And by the end of what's probably going to be two weeks, probably won't get done today. At the end of our two weeks, this week and next week, I want you to see which person you embody in this access or lack of access for transformation to Jesus. This week and next week, apparently, based on our time at this point, Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be. So I'm going to make it easy on you. Flip one page. Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 19, and the first is going to come in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. And it says this, a certain ruler asked him, someone say good, good teacher, what must I do or what good must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you're not familiar with this story, I'm going to help you out with a little exposition here, a little Bible study. You'll find this story in Matthew, Luke, and in Mark And they all give a different view. Matthew says he's young. Luke says he's a ruler. 
which is going to mean he's probably a ruler of a synagogue because uh, no Roman ruler would address Jesus as teacher or master. So scholars are going to say that the guy speaking is uh, a Jewish ruler of a local synagogue. But all three say this about him, that he's wealthy. And so what we're going to have and what you probably heard him refer to growing up in church, if you did, was the rich, young ruler. So apparently something's lacking, and he speaks to Jesus on the grand scale of eternity. So that's one character that we're going to discuss, okay? You've got the rich, young ruler who we'll talk about. The next one, flip your page or the other side of the page, Luke chapter 19 in verse 1 says this. Here's the other person. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He always seems to be passing through, like last week in Samaria, just, just passing through, right? A man was there by the name of what? Zacchaeus. So one, we get a description, no name, rich, young ruler. Now we actually get a name, a name of Zacchaeus. And next week, I'll tell you what his name means. He was a chief tax collector and was what? So both are wealthy here. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, someone say short people problems. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. What, what, you, you think I relate to this or something? He could not see over the crowd. My voice cracked because I was, I was embarrassed. Uh, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And so for these next two weeks, we're going to talk about two completely opposite characters, but two similar opportunities for transformational access with Jesus. The rich young ruler, if I can call him that, was considered holy by his title, and Zacchaeus was considered a sinner by his title. The rich young ruler was well-liked with a great reputation, and Zacchaeus was ostracized by friends and family because of his title. The rich young ruler was trained and studied in Torah, laws of Moses, Mishnah, and justified by that he felt because, did you notice, he just waltzed right up to Jesus. He felt worthy that he could just come before Jesus and just ask these questions. Not everybody could get to Jesus. This was not easy. He just got right to him. Maybe because he was well-known and people parted the way and said, oh, this is so-and-so. He is a rich young ruler. Let him through, let him by. Many couldn't make it to Jesus, we're told. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, he's untrained and ignorant in Torah, law of Moses, probably never read Mishnah, and felt condemned and unworthy and would not approach Jesus. He climbed a, we're told a, a sycamore tree, very undignified for that time for a chief, not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector. We find out that they both have title, they both have great responsibility, and they both have wealth. And Jesus is drawing comparisons, not just from this time, but to our current time. He's given us an opportunity to see what transformational access looks like through these two characters. I want to jump back in your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Now that you have these two characters in mind, you have a a bit of an understanding of of what their posture and position and place in society was. Now we're going to start here back with our rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. It says this, a certain ruler, now that you're a biblical scholar, you know what kind of ruler this is, yeah? 
most likely a synagogue ruler. He asked this, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's got this question of eternity. And I wonder for you today, when is the last time you thought about your eternity? You thought about one day, this thing ends. I read a study and it said 10 out of 10 people die. (laughs) Interviewed 10 people and all 10 died. When is the last time you thought about this ends at one point? And I don't know what was going on in this young, rich ruler's life, but it's unique that a young person, young people think they're going to live forever. You notice how I said they? I don't consider myself young anymore. They think they're going to live forever. They do the craziest things because you only live once, right? And they don't think about one day this ends, but this young ruler thought about, hey, this ends one day, and I need to find out what happens after I die. I need to find out if there's a heaven and a hell. And it's interesting, he's asking what? How do I get to heaven? Have you noticed no one's ever asked in the Bible or in our lives how you get to hell? You ever notice that? Everybody knows that one. <laughs> do what you want to do. All access there. But he wants to know how do you get to heaven? I was reading a recent study and it says the majority, over half of Americans believe in a heaven or a hell. But what I don't know is if that majority knows how you get there. And so he's asking this question. And as he asked the question, you're going to see the greatest evangelist of all time. The Billy Graham crusades had nothing on Jesus. Watch what Jesus does. He picks up on his language in verse 19. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Jesus is picking up on something here. He's picking up on his worldview. He's picking up on his mindset. He's picking up on what he thinks justifies himself on being good. He's picking up on something here. He says, no one's good except God alone. Like, you do know that, right? And then Jesus goes to verse 20. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Jesus pivots to where he's never pivoted before, the the old covenant. What he's come to to tear the veil and to produce new covenant, he he goes to old covenant here. And the response from our young ruler, very zealous and, and just ready to answer, verse 21, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I'm good, apparently, Jesus. Everything you have said, I'm good and I've kept I want you to see, before we move on, I want you to see the heart of Jesus. And, and you, you miss a little bit unless you read all the accounts. Because in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. After this response, like he's, he's proud of him. He's like, you've really been trying in these errors, and I see that and I honor that. See, oftentimes we look at Jesus and God like they're punitive. They just they want to catch us in something. They just can't wait to get us in something. And Jesus, in this account, He's pulling for him. He wants him to find eternal life. He wants him to find Messiah. He wants him to find what he's lacking that's got him tracking Jesus down and asking him this question of eternity that apparently his study is not giving him. Apparently, he feels as he's missing something. But what I want you to see is this. He says, all of these I have kept from a boy, but he's still missing something. He's at 
the feet of Jesus. He's, he's come before Jesus and, and he's got this admission here that I've been good and I've done good, but I'm still incomplete. Are you seeing what's happening here? The rich young ruler comes to an eternal question, which means he's confused about his place in regard to eternity. In terms of eternity, he's not sure. So he's got to come and find Jesus and ask Jesus. He's maybe overheard Jesus teaching and preaching. He's maybe been around Jesus and heard of the stories and heard of the signs and the wonders. And he thinks he's the one that has the answers. And the place where he starts is, good teacher, what good must I do? This reveals his heart. And Jesus picks up on the topic of conversation and says, no one's good. Why is she saying that? Because a rich young ruler, his life is all about, did you catch it? Being good and doing good. He has built a life, his spiritual construct, his way to heaven is being good and doing good. Do you know anybody like that? Have you been that person? Do you have family and friends like that? They live a life in their world construct. The spiritual construct is, I have to do good and be good to get to heaven. There's this onus on what we can do. There's this justification on my habits and my behavior. It's all on me. The problem with this is doing good and being good is subjective. Every generation has had their own set of moralities and moral views. This generation right now, if you're from a previous generation, you're like, what? You know, when the Bible says one day, bad will become good and good will become bad, I think we've arrived. But like every generation from the beginning of time to present, they've all had their view on what morality is and what good is. And so Jesus is saying, good is not going to get you there. He says, no one is good. Uh, Truth is, this perspective represents many of us in the room, many of us online, many of our family members, many of our colleagues, many in our country and around the world that we have a thought process that I have to be good and do good for God to be happy with me and to get to heaven. There's this ownership on self and what we can do. I read a study out of the university, Arizona Christian University, that says the majority of Americans believe that Humans are innately good, that we are just good people at our core. We are good people doing good things, so good things should happen to us when we die. Now, I could see that logic if you based on an earthly worldview. But when you open God's word and get a biblical worldview, it's a little bit different. And let me be very clear, and if you've never heard this, it's not to depress you. It's not to make God look like he's some evil, angry person. He's just being straight with you. Anybody have those friends in your life? Like, we need to know something about your outfit. You send them a picture. Like, this is look bad. Tell me the truth. You know, when you want to make a, a job transfer, you want to do something in your life, you want to make a move in life, you're like, hey, hey, tell me what I need to hear. Do you have those friends? Keep those. Get rid of the yes people. Keep the, keep the in-your-face people. Jesus, he gives us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And so we ask the question, am I good? Are we good? If we do good things, like, is that all? Very early on the scripture, God tells us, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, listen to this. This is God speaking. This is the one who created humanity that wired us in the womb of our mother. Every inclination of the thoughts 
of the human heart was only what? All the time. This is the post-fall. This is fallen nature. He's like, yeah, that's, that's what humans are. This is what we're fighting against, our flesh, to live for the spirit. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart this is going to mess up a lot of the movies you're going to go pay to see. I apologize. A lot of your romance novels, this is why movies always end and they live happily ever after. This is why they end like this. Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's not to depress us. It's not to put us down. It is letting us know this after Adam and Eve sinned, Many of you know that oh, that story in Genesis. After they sin, we are born into a fallen nature. Do you know why that's true? Did anybody ever have to teach your kid how to sin? Do it on their own. You got to teach them to do the right things, the godly things. We sin good all on our own. But we need the word of God to teach us what? The way to eternal life. The way to godly habits and behaviors and worldviews. And so the Lord is opening this up for us. Why does he give us a scripture in Genesis and Jeremiah? Do you know why? Because if he doesn't, we'll be fooled by the devil. And do you know what the enemy, the devil, wants us to believe? The enemy's biggest lie is if we believe the false narrative that we are good, then we don't have a need for God. See, if I'm good and I do good, I don't have a need for God. Is that making sense? If we are good and we do good, what's our need for God? I got this. I'm good. I can get a job of my own. I can get income. I can get an education. I can build a family. I can build a home. I can build an organization. I can build friend groups. If we think through that perspective, if we think through that mindset, then we've already missed it. The enemy's biggest lie is that if we do good, then we're okay without God. But the Bible declares that there's none good, no, not one. And Jesus is preaching and teaching this in very real time. Jesus responds, literally, if you study everything that Jesus responds to people, it's all about Messiah. It's all about him coming. It's all about believing in the Son of God. Post-Jesus, what do they preach and teach? Believe on the Messiah and you will be saved, whether it's Paul and Silas, whether it's preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, like whatever it is, is believe on Messiah, believe on Messiah, and what? You will be saved. John the Baptist, there's the one. Like everybody's saying, believe on Messiah, believe on Messiah. Does anybody have any context why Jesus just told the rich young ruler about the old covenant, about keeping the commandments? Like if I would preach and teach this, it'd be heresy. If I would say, hey, if you want to give your heart to Jesus today, believe in the Ten Commandments, and you will be saved. Half of y'all, if you knew your Bible, would walk out. Like, that's not accurate. That's not correct. So then we got to start asking the question, what is Jesus doing here? This guy's asking about eternal life, how to get to heaven, how do I do it, how do I get there? And Jesus says, are you keeping the commandments? You read it with me. It's one of the strangest encounters that you'll ever read Jesus having. He's the one that comes to break the old covenant, to rip the veil, and to show the new covenant that it's no more religion and keeping of the legalistic stuff. It's a relationship. It's one-on-one. But yet, you read it with me. Jesus says, commandment number six, thou shalt not murder. He says, commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. 
Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. And finishes with summarizing commandment number 10. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. What is he doing? He's really quoting Leviticus 19, 18. But if you don't covet what your neighbor has, you're loving them as yourself. And so he's summarizing that. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He is drawing out his worldview. His worldview is around the Ten Commandments. And if I can be good and do good, I don't need God. If I can be good and do good, I can do this on my own. Anyone, um, I'm going to take a minute to throw back home. Anybody remember watching the Ten Commandments every year with your parents? Because if they weren't in the room, you were changing it, right? Anybody remember watching the Ten Commandments every year? And every year, you see Charlton Heston with the Ten Commandments, right? And then Edward G. Robinson complaining, oh, if we would have been back in Egypt, right? Some of, the old, some of the young kids are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Get cultured, get cultured. Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, get cultured. And so in our minds, we have this depiction of, of the two tablets, right? The Ten Commandments, five on one, five on the other. What's interesting is that many scholars believe that's not what it looked like. Many scholars believe on the first tablet, there were the first four commandments. Why? Because those first four have to do with man's vertical relationship with themselves and God. On the second tablet, we think we're potentially six because those six have to do with man's relationship with man. Two tablets, two different focuses. Jesus initially asked him about the second tablet, his relationship with man. How's this going with stealing? How's this going with coveting? How's this going with lying and with murder? Have you knocked anybody off lately? How's this one going? And Jesus sets him up for a win. He knows he's doing these well. Do you see what Jesus does? He doesn't bring what he's not doing well. He's not the enemy. He doesn't beat him over the head. He said, hey, how are these going? Because it's a win. It's a softball. You can hit this one. How are those going? He says, from my youth, like he's an old man, right? From my youth, I've kept all these. Well, congratulations. I've kept all these. And Jesus is so happy. Mark 10, 21, you should circle it in your Bible or look it up. It says, then Jesus, look at him with love. I'm so proud of you. I love you. I believe in you. I'm for you. No matter what it feels like in seasons, I believe in you. Mark 10, 21. But what Jesus knew The problem wasn't with the second tablet. It was with the first. And when Jesus knew, he wasn't getting real with him. Like the woman at the well, you remember what Jesus had to do? She had all this facade, and he said, hey, go get your husband. And then it all came out. It's like, whoa, here we go. And with this guy, he's come with a facade. So in verse 22, Jesus says, we're going to open this up. We're going to blow this wide open. We're going to expose what's really going on here. And I don't know how you've come into church today. I don't know how you've logged on today. I don't know what you're carrying here today. But if you have not surrendered it, he's going to open it up here for you as well. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. He said, I know your heart. I know where you're really at. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. This is the apex of the story. 
He came to Jesus. He made his way through throngs. They saw him. They saw his robes. They saw his tassels like, oh, this guy's got to get through. Move all the paralytics out the way. This guy gets through. He's important. He made his way to Jesus. He asked his question. Jesus didn't say, take a number. He didn't say, let me meet with the board and the staff. and Let me see what the boys think. Jesus told him, you want eternal life? That's all you came for? That's it? Here you go. Here's his chance. I'm excited to keep reading, are you? Like, here's an opportunity for transformation. Here's the chance of a lifetime. Here's what he's been waiting on. Here's what he's, he just, he, this will help him sleep at night if he just knows the way to transformation. This will make everything better. He can't sleep. He can't eat. He can't think. He can't do anything until he gets this question answered from Jesus. So what will he do? Um, I am assuming shout for joy, jump up and down, high five some of the disciples, right? Maybe low five a couple. I'm thinking like this is what he was waiting on. Verse 23 is his response. When he heard this, this is our rich young ruler. This is the person who asked the question. He became very sad because he was very wealthy. Everything in his life was built on everything but Jesus. Verse 24, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard. See, the other one said he looked at him and loved him, right? He was so proud of him. He loved him. He wanted God's best for him. And now verse 24 says, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? If I'm being honest with you, I believe Jesus' eyes are welling up with tears right now. He was so close. He was so close to breakthrough. He was so close to eternal life. He was so close to transformation. He was so close to getting from, from, from this side, eternity separated from God. Forget calling it hell. It's eternity separated from God to eternity with God. He was so close. And I believe Jesus, the one who loved him, the one who's about to die for him, I believe his eyes rolled up with tears and said, what I gave you is holding you back because everything comes from the Lord. What I blessed you with is holding you back. Your ingenuity, your education, your, 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 your desire to accumulate wealth is, is holding you back. How hard is it those, instead of, rich, instead of the rich, those who I bless, you could say to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. By far, one of the saddest scriptures in all of your Bible. The young man came not sure if he would inherit eternal life and he left sure he would not inherit eternal life. Can you believe that? He came with wonder, maybe with, with surety. I know I've kept a lot of the commandments. I, I think I'll have eternal life. And he walks away. Yeah, I won't spend my eternity with God. I just wonder how many of us in this room have our whole lives built on something else. We know Jesus. We know how to get to Jesus. He says that he's probably ruler of a synagogue. He did church really, really good. They paid him really, really well to do church but didn't have eternal life. (laughs) What you and I just read, 
Jesus exposed issues not on the second tablet, but the first tablet. Why? Because the first tablet, uh, the first commandment, Exodus 23 says this, you shall have what? Say it with me. No other gods before me. Jesus exposed that. The second commandment, Exodus 24 says, you, sh- you must not make for yourself what? An idol of any kind. He made money his God and success his idol. He made money his God and success his idol. Men who you think your worth is your net worth or your worth is your title, are you making money your God and success your idol? Women, are you making money your God and success your idol in the name of a better future for your family or being better than what you've come from? When Jesus said, sell all you have and follow me, do you know what Jesus did? Like a dentist, he put his instrument on an exposed nerve. It really wasn't needed to sell all he had. Did Jesus need for that to happen? He put his instrument on exposed nerve. I know what your God is. I know what your idol is, 21st century Western American Christian. And I know how you can hide it, do good and be good, and build in a mass and say it's for God. I know how you can do that, we see here in the scripture. And forgetting that, hey, if you sell everything, go follow Jesus. I think we have some precedent that if Jesus wants to, he can bless you double for your trouble. You heard of Job? I thought this guy knew the scripture. The problem here is that the rich young ruler didn't have stuff. Stuff had And I want to make this as personal as we can today. Do you have stuff or does stuff have you? And maybe it's not wealth. Maybe it's other things. If you ask yourself, how do I know if stuff has me? Simply stated, if tonight, if tomorrow you lost it, would you still follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I hear people say all the time, if I lost my spouse, they die before me. If I lost my child or grandchild, I wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Not if you're following Jesus. He is the preeminent one. Do you have relationships or do relationships have you? Do you have a job or does a job have you? Do you have retirement assets or do retirement assets have you? Do you have a social media account? Does a social media account have you? Do you have talents and resource and reputation, notoriety, or do all those have you? This is where the believer begins to mature and grow. This is the instrument Jesus' tool is hoping to poke. What? has you. And for some of us, if it's these first two, if we have another God and we have another idol, we don't have eternity. Jesus is very, very clear here. He most likely is a ruler of a synagogue. He is most likely a religious man. He is very respected and yet does not 
have eternity because Jesus identified, you think you are good, you think you are doing good, but I can see, I can perceive, I see through your heart what nobody else can see. See, these are dangerous sins, these first two, because nobody can see them. These are in the heart. He saw that he made something else his God and something else his idol. And Jesus said, you cannot go to eternity that way. So I'm going to ask you very, very clearly to think out this scripture, not just right now, but today and through this week. Have you made anything or person, well-meaning as it may be, your God or your idol? If you woke up tomorrow morning and it was gone, would you look at God and say, I'm done with you? Too much. I can't take this. You are not a good God. Then you know where your heart is. And I want to be very clear if you're new in this place, new to the scripture, the issue is not wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18, if you don't know where wealth comes from, if you're praying for your boss to like you or some other kind of means to work, you're praying to the wrong source. It says, but remember the Lord who? Your God. For it is he who gives the ability to produce what? Wealth. Lord, your God gives you the ability to produce wealth. Jesus used the commandments. Why? He doesn't pivot right to, I'm Messiah. Believe in me and you'll have eternal life. Why does he pivot to the commandments? The old covenant? Because he thinks that is what justifies him. Pulls out his worldview. Have you ever read this scripture and thought, you know what? This could have turned out differently. He could have been like, I've got it all wrong. Because I've been in God's presence before, many times, this year, last year, years before, and said, on this situation, on this topic, on this relationship, on this issue, I've got it all wrong. It usually involves Courtney. I got it all wrong, God. She's right, I'm wrong. Like, it could have been different. Lord, I've missed this. I'm a a ruler. I'm wealthy. I've got it all wrong. It could have been different. He could have submitted himself. He could have at least, watch this, at least taken the day. You know what, Jesus? I I can't land this one, but I'm going to hang out with you today. I'm going to follow you and your disciples today. I'm going to pray and process today. Do you know what he did? He left so he couldn't be convinced. He said, no, sir, not happening on this watch. Sell all I have, give it to the poor, go follow you. I don't know what that full commitment is going to feel like because my current idols and my current gods please me real good, and I know what they feel like. I know they are my coping mechanisms. Oh, they feel so good. He said, I'm not even going to hang around in case he wants to put a hand on me. I heard he does that, spit on some mud and... Give me one of those facials. No, sir. I'm keeping this wealth. I'm keeping this title. He didn't even hang around. Unfortunately, there are many in the building today who are choosing gods of other things and people and idols over Jesus. And you will find out one day. I need some old saints in the house to tell people around you. You will find out one day Jesus was always the only answer. 
I need some people in the house right now that you've accomplished a lot. You've gotten the degrees. You've built the businesses. You've sold them. You've retired. You've built up different things. And you found out when you accomplished it, it wasn't what you were chasing. (laughs) I've read probably one of the most inspiring quotes of my lifetime from a person you wouldn't think would say this, but they did. Anybody remember Jim Carrey growing up? Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask. Need I go any further? Um, He said this in an interview. It's pretty shocking. And he can speak from this place because he's walked through this. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of, of so they can see that it's not the answer. Have you ever read a more profound statement? I don't know where this guy's spiritual heart is at, but he's, he's heading in the right direction. He said, I wish everybody at Legacy Church, in the building online, I wish tomorrow God gave you every single thing you've ever hoped and dreamed of for you, your family, your friends. I hope you woke up and it was in your inbox. It was in your front lawn. It was at your job. It was in your closet. It was in your account. It was in your investment account. I hope you had it all. So when you got it, you could see, oh, this wasn't what I was searching for. It's been Jesus all along. Always. It's always been Jesus. And we are in a culture where we are seeking and searching for everything to complement Jesus, to come alongside Jesus and making him not primary, but secondary or tertiary. If we're honest, maybe even further down than that when it comes to kids and grandkids and bills and finances, because all these things God wants me to love, right? Church, today is a day of surrender, a day of repentance, a day of reflection. Because next week, we're going to see Zacchaeus. And like the the ruler, he had experienced, he had amassed great wealth. And he'll have an opportunity to, to receive or give access to transformation. But today, we close our service, and I wish it was a little more cheery. I wish it was a little more celebration, because there could have been. Because he got the answer he wanted. You ever prayed and got the answer you wanted? Just not exactly what you thought it would be? <laughs> Ever happened? Lord, move in our hearts. Every person under the reading of this scripture and this message. Lord, search our hearts for any idols. Search our hearts for any, anything that comes before you. Any other God, any other idol before you, Lord. Bring it to our mind. Bring it to our heart. Bring it to our attention. In Jesus' name, we surrender any idols. We surrender any graven images. We surrender any gods that are before you, Lord. Spouse, children, job, finances, note, worth, reputation, title. It is yours. We surrender afresh and anew. We'll speak to our homes. Speak to our men, our women, and our students, God. And whatever has us today, in Jesus' name, must be loosed. In Jesus' name, must be loosed. From social media to relationships, 
from finances to reputation, you are loosed in Jesus' name. You no longer own us. Lust of the flesh, pornography, extramarital relationships, anything out there, you are loosed in Jesus' name. Lying, you are loosed in Jesus. You will not have us. In Jesus' name, we are free. Any habit, any behavior that has us today in Jesus' name, through the strength of the Holy Spirit, we are free in Jesus' name. Insecurities, we are free in Jesus' name. Lastly, with your heads bowed, I want to offer you a chance to welcome Jesus into your life. Maybe you identify one of those idols. Maybe you identify one of those places you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today, or maybe you've never prayed the prayer. This will be the first time. This is a a moment for you to, to welcome Jesus into your life and to live as his disciple and not just as a churchgoer. And so if that's you, the church and I would love to pray a prayer with you right now and, and lead you to welcoming Jesus into your life. Church, will you pray with us? Lord God, we believe in you. We repent of our sins and welcome Jesus into our lives. Holy Spirit, give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship and accountability the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give God a hand for all those who prayed that prayer? Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, please check out our website at LegacyChurchAI.org or follow us on social media at LegacyChurchAI. We'll see you next time.